possibly be the Christ? John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. May God bless the reading of his heart, his word to our hearts. You know, each of us has in our lives significant markers. Those moments, those times, those events, those days in our lives where everything changed. Now, sometimes we can see those coming at us. We know that things are about to change, and we count toward those days. Other times, it's looking back, isn't it? When you see, you know, when that happened, nothing was ever the same again. High school graduation, you guys are looking forward to that, and you know things will change then. You just don't know how much things are going to change then. College graduation is much the same way. Certainly, a wedding day changes everything. And something that uh, young couples may not realize until they look back is how much things change the day that first child is born. In our spiritual lives, that day, that marker where everything changes is the day of our baptism. This was true for Jesus, and it's true for us. If we want to know about the baptism of Jesus, we turn to our Gospels. And it was such a significant moment in life, the moment when his ministry began, that all four of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, include some kind of account of the baptism of Jesus. Now, if we want to know as much of the story as we can, we usually go to Matthew. Matthew gives us the longest account and has more details about the baptism than any of the other writers. Mark, well, Mark likes to tell things very quickly, but still, if you read the account of the baptism, you get a lot of information about what happened on that day that Jesus was baptized. John tells the story in a little different way. He looks back on the baptism. He has John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus, tell the story about what happened when Jesus was baptized. And then we have Luke. Luke tells us the story in a totally different way. In fact, Luke sort of tells the story of the baptism in passing, but the way he tells it 
informs us so much about what baptism meant for Jesus and then tells us what it means for us. Oh, not everything about baptism, but what Luke has to tell us about that day whenever we decide that we will give our hearts to God and put on Christ in baptism, he tells us everything changes. He tells the story this way. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. I told you it was short. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now that invites us to put that into pictures in our mind. You know this thing I keep talking about called Lectio Divina, where when you read the Word of God, you don't just read it, you make a movie out of it, you play it in your, li- in your mind, and you sort of step back and watch what happens there. And if we do that for this little phrase, this one sentence, we see all these people lined up at the Jordan River. We see John the Baptist standing out in the middle of the river. And one at a time, as it comes each person's turn, that person makes their way slowly into the water and they're baptized. And we see Jesus coming and taking his place in that line. Evidently, it was a long line because Luke says all the people were being baptized. And also the way he says it, especially in his original language, it kind of sounds like that Jesus came and got at the back of the line. Of course, that sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Certainly, no, he wouldn't push his way to the front of the line. But Jesus simply got in line with everyone Everyone who had been broken by the wear and tear of this evil and self-centered world. Those who had all but given up on themselves and given up on God. At his baptism, Jesus identified with the damaged and broken people of this world who need God. Now, it's not an accident that right after Luke tells us that Jesus was baptized, he gives us his genealogy. Now, Matthew, in telling his story, he started out with the genealogy. But Luke says, no, this is where it fits. And he does something even different from Matthew. Because Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham. But Luke says, no, it's even more than that. He says, Jesus was, as people thought, the son of Joseph. And Joseph was the son of Heli. And on and on and on he goes. And every time he mentions another ancestor, Jesus' family gets bigger. There's more people that are kin to him. More people that he is like. And he gets to Abraham, which makes him kin to all the Jewish people, but he doesn't stop there. He keeps on going all the way back to Adam, all the way back to God. His point is, Jesus is kin to us all. That Jesus, in coming to be baptized, identified with every other human being 
whoever has lived or who will live. One of the reasons that Jesus wanted to be baptized was to let everyone know he was human. One reason we come to be baptized is to say the same thing, is to present ourselves as human, as related to everyone else. We're the same as everyone else. When you go down into the waters of baptism, folks, there is no telling who's been in that water before you. You know, my dad used to take care of the baptistry in the little church I grew up in. And I would go with him to do that in the evening, some evening about every, I don't know how, two weeks, three, I don't know how long we did, how often he did it. But we would go and he would take care of the baptistry because it obviously needs maintenance. And usually when we got there, and I don't know if this was just because of the water in our little West Texas town, but there would usually be a white film across the top of the water. And I remember asking Dad, what is that? And he kind of chuckled and said, that's everybody's sins that have been washed away. Well, even at a small age, I knew he was just kidding me. But that image has really stuck in my mind. How many sins are in that water? Who all has been down in there besides me? I remember my mom occasionally telling me, don't go over there, you don't know who's been there. That's especially true for the waters of baptism. Everyone's been in there. This baptistry behind us, I have a lot of experience with it. I want to tell you, I've been in the water with and have watched also Young people go into that water who are the sweetest, kindest kids. They grew up here, loved them dearly. I've watched them go down in that water. I've helped elderly people into that water that I didn't know if we were going to make it down those steps or not. And I didn't know if I was going to get them up out of that water or not. I've seen people that I thought were the best people I've ever known. I've seen people that at that time, to be honest, I probably wouldn't give you 10 cents for. I've seen people of all races in that water. People of all colors. I've seen straight people in that water and I've seen gay people in that water. I've seen adulterers in that water. I've seen addicts in that water. I've seen liars in that water. I've seen thieves in that water. And if we dare to walk into it as well, what we are saying is we're no better than any of those folks. We're the same. We're all human. And Jesus... Even though he walked into the water, the one and only who ever stepped into the water of baptism as a perfect person. He wanted us to know he was well aware of who had been in there before him. 
and who would come after him. And he wanted us to know that he is human too. That's one thing we learn when we read about the baptism of Jesus. Luke also tells us that right then when Jesus was baptized, and he doesn't tell us exactly when, is it while he's still in the water, has he made his way to the bank, the bank of the river? But we find out that closely connected to his baptism, Jesus is found in prayer. Now, I don't think Jesus' prayer time, his prayer life began with that baptism. But it, Luke wants us to know that the first thing he began doing after his baptism was praying. Throughout Luke's gospel, he presents Jesus more than any of the other writers as a man of prayer. He highlights the times that Jesus would go off by himself would go up on a mountain, would go out into the desert, would get away just simply because he wanted to be alone with God and to pray. His disciples noticed this about him. They noticed that this seems to be where he gained his strength. And so they said to him in chapter 11 of Luke, Lord, teach us to pray that way. And if you read the first part of chapter 11, you'll find that Jesus there taught them the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. But he doesn't stop there. He goes ahead then and tells them a story about being persistent in your prayer. Keep on praying, even if you don't think it's going to do any good. He tells the little story about the woman who kept bugging the, you know, that I need help, I need help, I need help. Actually, it's the man in this case. And finally, the man gives the help just simply so the person will quit asking. He says, be that way with God. Just keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. Because you know if people will finally give in and do what you need to be done because they're tired of you, God, your Father, will listen to what it is that you need. And then he goes on to say, be assured that if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock on that door, it will be opened. But do you know how he concludes those remarks? So many times we read through that part and we get to that and we just stop. But the very last line of that whole thing about teaching to pray is this. The heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, he began to pray. And you know what he got? The Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit descended on him in a way that's unique because he was the unique Son of God. The Holy Spirit descended as the heavens opened, says. The language he uses is like a big old door just swinging open. And out of that opening came the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove and landed upon Jesus. And we know that that Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to go out and do his ministry. But Luke wants us to know that the Holy Spirit 
is closely connected to prayer. It's connected to baptism and to prayer. And that if we want to live our lives with the power of the Spirit, we must be people of prayer. We must be baptized people who pray. And the Holy Spirit will come. Now, in case we don't get the connection, Luke keeps bringing it up. Let me give you one more instance. Luke wrote the, God, the, the uh, Acts of the Apostles, didn't he? And he talks there at the very beginning in chapters 1 and 2 about the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' disciples to empower them. Now, we normally really zero in on Acts 2.38 that emphasizes that you receive the Spirit in baptism. And that's true, and that kind of fits in where we are right here. But let me give you one guess. What were those disciples doing when that Holy Spirit came? Anybody want to guess? They were praying. If you want to live a powerless life, if you want to live a life where the Holy Spirit is simply a concept and not a reality, then don't be a person of prayer. But if you want to live a life that the Spirit encourages and comforts and opens doors and leads and pushes, then be a person who prays. There's one more thing about this little account in Luke that we want to notice. That that very moment after Jesus was baptized, and as he was in prayer and the Holy Spirit came upon him, a voice spoke. You are my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. And once again, Jesus is the unique Son of God, a Son of God like we will never be. But Luke wants us to know that at our baptism, we become children of God. Paul later on reinforced that when he said this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. In Christ Jesus, you have become children of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, we may not hear a voice from heaven, but the words are said. As the angels rejoice and God smiles, each person who dares to step into the waters of baptism and to be submerged into the death of Christ, to be identified as human and as a human putting their trust in the Lord. You can be assured that when you ascend from those waters, there's a voice in heaven saying, You are my child. And I love you. And I'm proud of you. Now for those of us who have been in the waters of baptism, 
It's good for us to be reminded of these things. It is good for us to come back and to relive these things, reclaim these things. Because if we ever feel that perhaps God is not too, sh- not too proud of us or is ashamed of us, know that once he says what he says, he means it. You are my child. I love you. I'm proud of you. For those of you who have yet to go into the waters of baptism, swallow your pride. Admit that you're just like all the rest of us, that you are human, that you need God. And receive in that blessing the power of the Spirit and the affirmation of God, who is now your Father. Let's stand and sing together.